As you're aware, I've been looking at the book of Acts and my subject has been Jesus in the book of Acts. And prior to that, I'd been looking at the book of Philippians and um, I continued Philippians till we got to the end of the first chapter and then moved to come into the book of Acts. And so we left the book of Acts the last time at Acts chapter 2. And it just happens to turn out that the theme that I've got for today, which will actually, because of the way that we're combining the both meetings together at the moment, the prayer meeting Bible study to a Friday evening, so we've got a little bit shorter time to speak, um, what was going to be two studies may just turn out to be three, if not four, on this theme. And the theme that I've got would have fitted in to carry on from Philippians, that's why I've asked for Philippians 2 to be read, and also from Acts chapter 3, which is why I've asked for that to be read. And has anybody picked up what the theme might be from listening to those two readings? Don't be shy, give it a try. It's uh, healing and trusting in uh, the word of God. It's not, it's, the, the subject isn't healing in that sense, but I'll, I'll have to tell you that. In Acts chapter 3 verse 6, and then from Acts, uh, Philippians 2, 9 to 11, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Then from Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So putting the two together, my theme tonight and as we go on into August is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Um, it was difficult as well to decide whether to concentrate on the Acts reading first or the Philippians reading first. And uh, you'll see in a moment which way that I have gone. But I mentioned on Sunday morning those verses from Philippians 2. I believe that they're verses that should be regularly read in the house of God. Declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because we need to recognise that when we're meeting together in God's house, the powers of darkness are at work outside. The powers of darkness are against us as God's people. But as we declare the name of Jesus, there's power and there's authority in his name. So that when we gather together as his people, we come under his authority. And the powers of darkness can't thwart what God wants to do amongst us. And so we should continually, regularly declare those verses concerning the name of Jesus. And as we come to that subject this evening, we, we, we're all aware of the fact that there are, there are many hymns, choruses, songs, whichever term you want to use, that are based around the name of Jesus. And through the studies, I will mention some of them. But I'm just going to start off by quoting this one. The name of Jesus is so sweet. I love its music to repeat. It makes my joys full and complete. The precious name of Jesus. I love the name of him whose heart knows all my griefs and bears a part. 
who bids all anxious fears depart, I love the name of Jesus. That name I fondly love to hear. It never fails my heart to cheer. Its music dries the falling tear. Exalt the name of Jesus. No word of man can ever tell how sweet the name I love so well. Oh, let its praises ever swell. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let all saints proclaim its worthy praise forever. And I'm glad this evening that I personally can say, and I trust that we all can say, I believe we do because we're all believers here this evening, that we can rejoice in the fact that we've come to a place where we can say that the name of Jesus means so much to us in contrast to those who just see it as a convenient swear word which they use on a regular basis without giving any thought whatsoever toward who Jesus is and what he could be for them if only they would come and accept him as their saviour. And as I think about that, we rejoice in his name. They use it as a swear word. And what a shock is going to await them one day when they realise that suddenly they're going to be standing before him and they will have to bow down before him. And then it will be too late. If you were attending this fellowship when I first came here to preach back in September 2019 with the intention of being considered as the next pastor, you may remember what my subject was over that first weekend. Don't worry if you don't. But does anybody? Oh, there's no puppet being yours. <laughs> anybody got any idea? You think you might remember? No? Okay. I'll remind you, my subject for the whole weekend, the Friday evening, Sunday morning, and the Sunday evening, was what we believe about Jesus is important. What we believe about Jesus is important. And there are five what are known as solas, S-O-L-A-S, that came out of the Protestant Reformation. And one of them is concerning the Lord Jesus. The five of them together are, and excuse me if I don't get the Latin right, sola gratia, which means by grace alone, sola fide, which means by faith alone, sola Christus, which means by Christ alone, sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, and then sola gloria, to the glory of God alone. And those five solas together mean this that Christians are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone as revealed by scripture alone and it's all to the glory of God alone so those five points they'll make a good study for us one day and I'm already thinking about it so you'll know where we're going to be going sometime in the future but for now 
what the reformers were doing, they were putting right the errors of the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. One of them was being the focus of man placed once again upon the Lord Jesus Christ rather than those who claimed to be his representatives on earth. It was to recognise that Christ is the head of the church, not the Pope. And the truth of scripture is that there is only one man who has been appointed to be our representative and it was and still is the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says this, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So recalling my subject matter, which you weren't able to recall anyway, but I've just reminded you, back then in 2019, what we believe about Jesus is important. These verses that we've read tonight from Acts and Philippians are so important in any study that we bring concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And it fits in with my subject matter as we consider the earthly name Jesus, which was given to the child who was born, yet at the same time was the son who was given. And I've mentioned the five solas, and I'm going to make some statements here, and then I will enlarge on them indirectly, so I might not specifically refer to these statements again, but I will enlarge on them throughout the studies that I'm going to bring on the name of Jesus. And I've got seven, I could have written so many more, but seven at the moment concerning the name Jesus. It is the name, the first one, that was given to him by his father. Secondly, it is the name that has been exalted by his father. Thirdly, it is the name which is above every other name. Fourthly, it is the name that carries authority from his father. Fifthly, it is the name that grants salvation from his father. Sixthly, it is the name that dispenses power from the father. And seventhly, it is the name of our representative standing before the Father in heaven on our behalf. This is Jesus. This is our Jesus. And this is the one of the, who has the name that we've read about in those two scriptures. And so to where we're going to turn to firstly tonight. It's going to be to Philippians chapter 2 because it is a portion of scripture that helps us to understand why this name Jesus is so special. Now, of course, the name Jesus was a common name. It's still used today. You'll often hear, especially football players from South America, they have the name Jesus. But when this name was given to the Son of God, it had meaning attached to it that cannot and never 
will be attached to anyone else called Jesus in the past, in the present, and in the future. And the name Jesus in the New Testament is the equivalent to the Old Testament Hebrew Yeshua, from which we get the name Joshua. And it simply means Yahweh saves or the Lord is salvation. And one of the more modern choruses that we sing, which is based upon this theme and is set from the words uh, of Revelation 7 verse 10 is, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Therefore, even at this early stage of my study, we can cry out with the angels who are standing around the throne, that which they cried out in verse 12. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And at the end of it all, in the words of the song we've sung so much just recently, all the praise goes to Jesus. All the praise. Because only one can. And the song lists so many different things. Only one can do this and only one can do that. All the praise goes to Jesus. So in a nutshell from Philippians chapter 2, the name of Jesus of Nazareth as he is referred to in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, is special because Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He was 100% obedient to the will of his Father. And at this point, it's important to understand that Jesus has always been the eternal Son of God, because there are some that say that he didn't become the eternal Son until a certain point. But he was the eternal son in eternity past and still will be in eternity future. As I've already quoted from Isaiah 9, it talked to there about a child being born. But the child being born was a son who was given. He already was the son given as the eternal son of God to the world. And because Philippians talks about his obedience, we see his obedience, 100% obedience in that first, he willingly came from heaven to live as a man on earth. At no point did God ever have to force him to come. He willingly came to earth. He willingly went to Calvary to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sin which also must mean that his being placed in the tomb was according to divine will. And we know that he was powerfully raised from the dead because death could not hold him. And he ascended back into heaven. And as we see, he was and is exalted. And Philippians 1.8, as I've mentioned, uses the phrase being obedient. Let's read verse 8 again. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And remember going back in scripture in the Garden of Gethsemane, the words of Jesus, 
as he agonized over what lay before him. And Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39 records it this way. It says that he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now let's pause here for a moment. Think of that prayer. And I wonder how often have we deliberately stopped when we've read that prayer of Jesus and considered the immensity of the moment. Remember, as Luke twenty-two forty-four tells us, that when he made that prayer, he was in such anguish of soul, so intense, that it says that he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. This is what I want us to consider this evening. Because it does us good to stop and to think of these things. Jesus knew why he had come into this world. In his own words in Luke 19.10, after he had met with Zacchaeus, he said these words, For the Son of Man, speaking of himself to the crowd around, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Paul, writing to Timothy, states this in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And it is such an important statement that Paul precedes it by saying, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, this demands not only our attention, but also a response from us, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And it was Jesus himself, while talking with the disciples, said to them in John 12, 23 to 24, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he was speaking here of his death and of his resurrection, that which was the most vital part of his reason for coming to the earth, as the disciples understood later, after it had happened. And so as we pause and think, as I mentioned a few moments ago, we need to understand this. As Jesus knelt in the garden, he knew exactly he knew every minute detail of the horror that lay before him. We'll recall that at 12 years of age, quoting the good old King James Version, Norman, he said to those that were questioning him as he was talking to them that I must be about my father's business. 
And we see that Jesus went about his father's business. He was undeterred by anyone or anything that sought to come against him. And there, as he knelt in the garden, he knew, this is what amazes me, he knew that Judas would betray him. And yet he had allowed him to spend three years in company with him. He even knew that the crowds that lauded him as he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey would a few hours later, after he had made this prayer, shout out, away with him, crucify him with hatred in their breath. As he prayed that prayer, he knew all about the beatings they would bring to his body. He knew about the false accusations they would make against him. He knew that they would take some briars, possibly with the biggest thorns they could find, and plait a crown from it, and they intended to thrust it down upon his brow. He even knew that one of his closest companions, Peter, would deny knowing him three times. He knew about the nails that would be hammered through his hands and his feet and the spear that would be thrusted into his side. And he even knew that they wouldn't be gentle as they raised the cross and would jolt it and thrust it into the ground to cause as much pain as they could to his body. But what was even worse, as if anything else that would happen wasn't that if everything else that was going to happen wasn't bad enough, he knew as well that our sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world would be placed upon him as if it was his own. And in bearing it, he would bear the wrath of God for it. And they would continue to taunt him as he hung on the cross. And even his father would forsake him. He even knew, and this to me is even more astounding. He even knew that millions, if not billions, would refuse to accept the sacrifice he was about to make for them. And yet knowing all of this beforehand, he willingly said in obedience, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You remember in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus had been through what we call the wilderness experience it is recorded for us that Jesus went up to the synagogue and he read publicly from Isaiah 61 we know it well the spirit of the Lord is upon me and some more verses see Jesus knew the Old Testament scriptures better than anyone else he, he, he often quoted them and there is absolutely no doubt that he would also have read at some time even if it was just privately rather than publicly, like he read Isaiah 61, the 53rd chapter that would have been found in the same scroll. The prophecy concerning the suffering servant. And we read it 
And looking back as we've read it and do read it, we rejoice in what Jesus has done for us and what that prophetic utterance meant for us. But imagine Jesus as he read it. Imagine Jesus as he read it. He would have read it, meditating upon every detail, knowing that it was predicting exactly in fine detail what actually lay ahead of him. For example, verses 3 to 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. See we rejoice in that today. But Jesus read it knowing that's what he was faced with. I'm glad that I can say today some 2,000 years later that he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. And what about this from another hymn? Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And the Hebrew writer sums up his obedience and his willingness in one simple and yet powerful statement in Hebrews 12 verse 2. And this is what it says there. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. And that verse ties in with where we are in Philippians chapter 2. For it was because of his willingness and because of his obedience. The man called Jesus is today seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He alone is the man who intercedes or mediates on our behalf. He alone is the one who gave himself as a ransom for all. And Hebrews 4, 14 to 15 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And it was because of his obedience we come to answer as to why the name of Jesus is so special. Why it has become what it is to us today. It was because he was willing to undergo everything that I've mentioned this evening. And so when we come to Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Because he was willing. Because he was obedient. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. 
In other words, his journey from heaven to earth has led to his exaltation in heaven. And I close with another scripture from Ephesians 1.20 that talks of the power of God that was at work. It says the power of God was at work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he's put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all Lord I lift your name on high that's all we can do Lord I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. And from the grave, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Hi. So I've had to choose where to end tonight as I've gone through it again. I'm leaving it at that. But I trust it's sufficient for us to just dwell again and to rejoice even further on the wonder of the name of Jesus. The name we love so well. Amen.